coming to you live, but not really. It is all pump and no circumstance with Ryder Richards on LetUsThinkAboutIt.com, the amateur hour you should never tune into. All right, welcome back, and sorry for the delay on getting this part three of our self-optimization series out. Uh, just so you know, um, I've had several projects going on. One of them is I have recently started a morning show podcast called What the Hell is Water with a guy named Reed Garcia, and that's broadcast from 7.30 a.m. Central Time to 8.30, and that's usually only on weekdays. So the podcast is under the Helpful for Life banner, and on the show, we try to do things like offer daily challenges and insights and some tech tips and have goofy conversations. And of course, I can't help but go into like philosophical social crap all the time. But sometimes it can be a nice way to help you get your morning started. So maybe check that out if you want to. As well, I have now moved into my new office space. So a little background on this is that I ended up getting a 30 by 40 metal workshop built on my property. And the last couple of weeks, I've actually built out an office space inside of it. Yeah, and by that, I mean, I have framed up the walls, insulated things, did the electric, I sheetrocked it, I installed the internet, and for the first time ever, I got to install an air conditioner. Yeah, so yeah, this has required a lot of time and work, but of course, I'm super excited about it and what it can offer for the podcast in the future. So I have some images of the shop, if you're curious, on LetUsThinkAboutIt.com, and these would be under the monthly posts that I put on there that cover things that I consume and produce every month. So those lists cover things like what I read and watch and listen to, as well as what I produce that filters back out into the world. Okay, but back to it. This episode, the hero trendency. <laughs> you know, what is a trend plus a tendency? So here we're going to be talking more about self-optimization with some models of super duper extremes, such as the superhero. But we're also going to be looking at the role of science and pseudoscience on human behavior. But, you know, more honestly, maybe what we're really looking at is our weird fixation with better living through science. So my underlying question for really all self-optimization, but especially when we're at the hero level, because I think that's the extreme level, is do we really just lean on science as a kind of a patch that we slap on because we can't be bothered to adjust our priorities or really do the hard work ourselves? Or maybe we need to pay some credence to this too. Maybe it's a necessary adaptation to survive in the modern world. We need to think about that. And of course, in a more societal and philosophical bent, have we merely taken the kind of Hegelian idea of being known by our deeds, which are of course measurable social actions, and have we somehow done the old signifier signified switcheroo? Have we taken the action, the deed, the superhero deed, to be the valuable thing, praising the action while decoupling it from the primary motivating force? So that's the question. Do we simply perform the hero kind of like an act without the foundational motivating force? And could all that be because we don't actually understand what a hero is or why we self-optimize? <laughs> Stay tuned. Part 1. The Hero Story Perhaps there has always been an effort toward optimization. And of course, generally, that might look like technology. That's at least the objects we have. From hand-napped flints on the savannah to astronauts on scientifically supplemented, balanced, healthy diets pooping into vacuum toilets. <laughs> yeah, from Beowulf to our televised fictions of the $6 million man, right? There have always been myths made of the bigger, better, faster, stronger, stronger hero, faster. 
And of course, when speaking of self-optimization or overcoming your stagnant mediocrity, which we're all trying to do, we're of course speaking of the hero's journey. And this is a term that was popularized by the late, the great Joseph Campbell. But of course, we also need to be looking for a few changes that have happened over time. Campbell spoke a lot of the parallels to the external journey and the internal journey. In fact, the external circumstances gave the individual the opportunity to actually react and grow. Of course, he studied all sorts of myths, and he helped invent the mythology of Star Wars. But as much as the framework may stay the same, stories change to fit a time. So let's look at some trends in our modern myths. In the 50s and 70s, like there was this kind of wave of belief in unlocking human potential through things like intensive practice, hypnosis, subliminal training, or if you're Timothy Leary, it's just LSD, right? And this is all to expand the mind. And maybe, of course, all these steps were always there in religious practices, and we just wrapped them up under the guise of science, or, you know, if you're the government, MK Ultra, right? And we're basically laying out some new methodology and goals on the old journey. Well, back then, pushing boundaries and frontiers, of course, several people thought of the human as this kind of blank slate that could be rewritten or molded or shaped somehow. And this is really common in the sci-fi of the times, but it also sort of manifests in the real world. So one example of this, right, is Laszlo Polgar. He was born in Hungary, and he had this idea about how to raise children, as a lot of men do, right? And he ended up getting married and having his first child in 1969. So he and his wife, Clara, they raised their children around the idea that they could create a genius through specific, narrow focus. So they had three children, and these are called the Polgar sisters. And all of them excelled at chess. They were amazing at chess, and they reached these amazing heights, and they were ended up being declared national treasures. Of course, in fiction, whenever it comes into these kind of things, chess is way too boring, except for maybe that one show. But anyway, the blank slates in fiction tend to be this sort of genre of assassin killers, right? What we end up doing is, through dedicated practice, we create superhuman killers. Well, I mean, they didn't actually kill superhumans. They were just really good at killing, right? Um, but So the basic examples of this kind of stuff in fiction are like things like Kill Bill or Atomic Blonde or Leon the Professional, where they're trained, they find a purpose, which you know often involves revenge or justice. And these are the myths and stories we're grown up on, right? And then there's this kind of darker side where you have children who are raised by handlers or the government as weapons. And this is more like your kind of John Wick or Black Widow, your Hannah or your Kate, right? So let's see. What if, instead of being a badass with a Kalashnikov and a stiletto, right, what if you're just really good with golf clubs? <laughs> well, this would be the Tiger Woods story, another real-world example. So this is a history of brutal authoritarian parenting that generated kind of the mental resiliency and overcoming of a hero. Now, there's a lot of success here, but there's also a lot of trauma. And of course... Now we know from science that not everyone can become an Olympic athlete or a Tiger Woods, right? Some of us, despite years and years of effort, we really just aren't built for it physically, and some of us can't also handle the psychological strain. And that leaves a lot of people with crushed dreams. And this is kind of a super high attrition rate as we all attempt to become the best of the best. Do you have a suboptimal body and mediocre genetics? Are you a 95-pound weakling with a heart of gold? Do you not stand up to bullies at the beach? Oh, do girls not glance twice at you? Oh, oh. Well, have we got the perfect remedy for you. Now, with these special pills, a teensy bit of pain, some light genetic mutation, and some handy dandy gadgets, you too can go from zero to hero overnight. 
We are not responsible for any emotional or psychological issues resulting from this process. Advertising and comic books have been targeting our physical and genetic limitations for years, always telling us there's a better way. Do not accept your limits. You can be anything, right? Here's the formula. So yeah, what is the formula, right? I mean, this maybe this is the path we start off on is first it's protein shakes and we hit the gym a whole lot. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, we need to achieve a little more. So there's some casual steroid abuse. And then, I mean, you know how it goes, right? We, we get on the baseball team, we hit a whole bunch of home runs. And of course, we get kicked off the team for our steroid abuse. And we somehow become morally dubious cops. And then we get caught in a crossfire doing shady crap somehow, and then they bring us back from the dead as partially mind-wiped robocops. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time. I've seen it a million times. Yeah, so anyway, it, coming back to robocop here, this is the new iteration of the six million dollar man, right? Even though it's kind of an old movie now, but this is the augmented hero. This is a kind of mechanical Frankenstein's monster. And this monster, he's a mechanical golem zombie, right? But as usual, he's got a heart of gold if we can just access it. But he's also this very scary cyborg. So technology leads us to mechanization as a superpower. To achieve more, just add some power and indestructibility. You have a problem? You get shot? You lost your hand dueling with lightsabers with your dad? <laughs> Voila! It's all better. Here's a new hand. <laughs> so what we're talking about here really is science as this kind of backbone of overcoming. And this is a fairly new kind of thing. It's the path to becoming heroic. So if you want to talk about efficiency, we just turn the man into a machine. And we're somewhat conditioned to accept that this is just the way of the future. As far back as when we're children, we watch cartoons like Inspector Gadget, right? The bumbling doofus with all sorts of extensions and rockets and wheels that, of course, both saved the day and naturally led to slapstick pratfalls. Because, yeah, technology tends to misbehave or to have a mind of its own. How weird, right? So let's do a quick backtrack. Let's go back to an earlier podcast. In step 28, I mentioned Henry Bergson. And his summary of what makes something funny or humorous is the mechanical encrusted upon the living, right? And this goes back to the Inspector Gadget again, because it kind of shines a light on slavishly embracing mechanization and bureaucracy over life itself, because that's not natural. And that sadly, tragically, is the root of a lot of humor. Because this is, of course, the real warning here is when we lean too heavily into external power, technology, even optimization, we actually cease to be human in a very certain and important way. We sort of trade in the hard path of overcoming for the easy path of instant power. And in that substitution, at least the myths say, we lose something vital. So there is also this other version of sort of power and heroics, right? And, and at least in the fantasy fiction realm. And you might want to consider that arcane magics. And it often kind of follows the same plot lines as other hero stories. Uh, but for instance, in this case, Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker, they're just born naturally magical. Wow, what a great genetic gift, right? While in other shows like The Witcher, you actually have to suffer for your magic. Ooh, yeah, that kind of hurts, right? And I'm going to actually suggest that maybe this path of learning the secrets of arcane magics is its own kind of technology, and it might just be our path to be super, <laughs> right? Maybe not even super, maybe just to be a little bit more, just to get closer to achieving our potential. Because we maybe are not even interested in being super, we might just want to finally be able to realize what is inside of us. And sure, 
of course, you can wait around and hope to get bitten by a radioactive spider, and then you can go around saying things like, with great power comes great responsibility, and you can have this magnificent credo you live by with all your power. But most of us are going to have to work really hard just to get our pants on every morning and get to work. And of course, this is why I think learning the arcane, sciencey kind of magics of habit stacking and personal productivity management is so alluring to so many people. Part 2. From Fiction to Fact While I have been talking about science through things like fictional stories, in many ways, it has stepped into reality. We have made many, many things real, and if you want to see something insane, look up clips from like the 1920s Olympics compared to today's Olympics. So yeah, over 100 years, the science of optimization and dedication, yeah, it works. I mean, physically at least, right? Until, of course, they turn into that unhinged balance beam killer supermodel from the spy who dumped me. <laughs> Funny show if you haven't seen it. Now, uh, in America, we seem to live in a society that links success and progress and achievement, right? They're all bound together. And to work hard and become rich, that's your passion. It's your dream. You know, you're, this is your superhero prowess on display through things like your bank account and your nice clothes. This is the manifest destiny of self-actualization. And it's all woven in with this Protestant work ethic and capitalism and the American mythos and... Of course, technology is often both the vehicle and the key to get there. It's kind of the skateboard and the cheat code to unlock your reserves of untapped potential. For instance, we see an inspirational dream, perhaps the American dream, and this is played out in the movie Gattaca. In Gattaca, the science has stratified people by class, which is kind of what societies do anyway, but besides that, uh, in the movie, it's based on DNA which is kind of interesting because it says the pattern of molecules determines your worth and station in life, which is, of course, all quite unscientifically deterministic, right? And it, and it flies in the face of all of our kind of carefully guarded individualist autonomy beliefs, right? That you can become anything. Yet we also really believe in science to save the day at the same time. Or we did until COVID, and then we reverted back to the dark ages and started chopping down 5G cell towers. <laughs> So obviously, logical consistency in beliefs is not required to be a human. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, let's get back to Gattaca. Ethan Hawke, he fakes his DNA signature and then simply outworks everyone else while keeping a lot of secrets. Now, in an unjust society, apparently the only way to win is to lie and work harder than everybody else. So this is a triumph of the human will over genetic and bureaucratic limitations, right? Injustice. And I know what you're wondering right now. What kind of drugs was he taking? <laughs> right? Did he prefer uh, steroids or amphetamines to, you know, to keep his edge? Uh, maybe cold showers. Was he doing prison workouts or cross training? And by the way, while he was overcoming everything, did he wear boxers or briefs? And did he do parkour with boxers on? <laughs> Look out below, ladies. <laughs> did he listen to audiobooks or podcasts? I mean, really, this is what's so funny is that in the age of the internet, with all this knowledge at our fingertips, we need to know how he did it. What was the magic formula to achieve so much? Because, of course, I saw on Instagram that billionaires take cold showers, right? And you've all know Harari? He meditates two hours per day. Wim Hof healed cancer with cryotherapy. And I heard of a girl who healed her chakras? They somehow got rubbed down with crystals? I don't even know. And of course, Tim Ferriss and Sam Harris, they did mushrooms, and they say it was one of the top 10 most profound things you can do. So do I need to take shrooms? Right? I heard that Richard Branson, who's a billionaire or whatever, eats oatmeal for breakfast. But Ryan Holiday? He does intermittent fasting. Oh, gosh. Now 
I'm so torn. How do I become successful? Do I get rich by eating oatmeal or taking cold showers? Or can I be a stoic and just not eat at all? Ah, so many decisions. <laughs> so yeah, we went from RoboCop to magic. And now we're back to this kind of, I don't know, scientific habits is kind of behavioral science. And when somebody like in Gattaca, for instance, has an overpowering, all-consuming goal to be more, right? When they have something out in front of them, or if you're in Kill Bill, maybe your goal is to kill more, right? Well, we find their dedication and focus grants results. Now, this is called dedicated practice. And there's all sorts of myths of this kind of 10,000 hour rule that uh, this idea that you get to mastery through 10,000 hours of dedicated focus or dedicated practice. This all kind of circuit around this. And what happens here is we start realizing that maybe we just don't need things like neural implants. We don't need bionic arms and technology to actually overcome and become heroic. Maybe the new magics are habit stacks, routines, and the mystical arcana of time blocking and flow state. So the only thing left is to find an all-consuming, overpowering desire that we can shape our life around. And that's not so much hero stuff as a very old question for all of mankind. What is my purpose? What is my mission? So here is where we bring up the philosophical underpinnings of the Superman. Part three, the Superman. So how can we do, as this kind of quasi-philosophical podcast that we are, an episode on superheroes and this concept of overcoming without at least bringing up Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> I don't know why I say it like that. But anyway, he, uh, he popularized the concept of the Ubermensch, or the Overman, or the Beyond Man. And this was a kind of phrase or term earlier that was used by Goethe in Faust, and it's really the template for Superman. And a little point here, but the Ubermensch, at some point, was co-opted by the National Socialist Party. Yeah, that's the Nazis, because of course, and this is horrible, but Nietzsche's sister started selectively dribbling out these kind of cherry-picked ideas to Hitler and his party because they were really powerful for the obvious propaganda of epitomizing the master race. Ah, so this is gross, right? Because this was a whole system of ideas, and the Ubermensch was part of it. But if you only pull and cherry-pick out ideas, and these are powerful ideas without proper context, it can be used for really nefarious causes. And what's also sort of sad about this is Nietzsche is now related to all this stuff, but he himself said he, quote, would have all anti-Semites shot. And if you want to take the implications of that, it means he would have shot his sister. So this is super dark. Anyway, let's get back to just talking about the Ubermensch. So this is the Overman, the Superman. It is a form of overcoming. So this is the heroic, right? This kind of warrior spirit. But if we stop there at this kind of superficial level of the warrior, well, there's a tendency to think of him as like a soldier. And this becomes something about physicality because we now have people, these are guys and girls who look like superheroes. They can appear as Captain America or Wonder Woman or something like that, but they still throw tantrums just like a child. So they overcame, yeah, but they overcame physicality while staying in vanity. So the hero's journey is ultimately a journey towards self-integration, towards wholeness, and as Jung said, individuation through the unification of opposites. Now, if the Ubermensch is the overcomer, the distinct individual, maybe the best way to recognize him or her is to understand the opposite. What's interesting about that is that means we have to employ some form of empathy 
and maybe look around in multiple perspectives. In Nietzsche's book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, the prophet Zarathustra is this kind of guy who lives up on a mountaintop and he comes back down from the mountaintop with all this knowledge and enlightenment that he thinks he gained up there and uh, he comes down to deliver it to the masses, right? And of course, the masses don't want this and they spurn him, right? So he attempts to tell them of the Ubermunch and of course they reject this idea of this hard life of overcoming. And of course, uh, Zarathustra is all spiteful and disappointed and basically butthurt. And he decides instead to prophesy this kind of disgusting concept of the last man. So the last man is a lazy, decadent person. A person born of a civilization incapable of standing up to challenge or hardship. They are only interested in comfort. The last man is the archetypical passive nihilist. He is tired of life. He takes no risks, only preferring security. So the last man, this is the soft and secure rationalist who has forgotten how to dream. Well, to the last man, the Ubermensch, well, anything he would do appears as illness or madness. Intentional hardship? Are you crazy? <laughs> so the last man is not anything like the last man standing. It's more like the kind of zombie that your coworkers have turned into. You remember earlier when I brought up that the fear of the cyborg was the fear of losing humanity to the machine, to overproduction. Well, the last man is losing humanity as well, but of course, they're losing it to passive security. You don't really turn into a machine as much as turning into a slug. You're not really transformed into a cog as much as transformed into a frightened blob of popular conformity. So how do we push back against this kind of conformity of security? Because it indeed seems to be quite illogical. I mean, isn't it actually in our best interest to protect ourselves and stay comfortable, right? In the middle of this kind of herd or pack, let's just stay there, right? Well, yeah, of course, that makes sense for survival. But what about thriving? What about ideas like self-actualization? Because who are you? And maybe that really is the hero's journey. I think perhaps to get on the hero's journey, what we really need to do is find something external to ourselves that is more important, some way that we can help. Because a hero, what's necessary to make a hero anyway, is they have to use the challenges, the tension, and the hardship to really manifest creativity in order to innovate. So you know what's really creative and innovative? <laughs> yeah, how about a rhetorical question? No, no, that's not. Everyone does that. Science is creative and innovative. Indeed, science is kind of the creative innovation to take on a challenge of our frail physical forms or to better understand our minds. So these are frontiers that still need exploring. Are scientists and technologists actually our superheroes now? What about the optimizers? What about the overcomers? How about this productivity hack crowd I keep bringing up? The guys taking cold baths and showers and the guys and gals hitting flow state or testing intermittent fasting. I mean, these people are testing and they're testing and they're suffering and they're sharing all this data with us. Is this a frontier that they're throwing themselves at? Are they climbing the mountain and coming back down with mountaintop insights? Perhaps. But perhaps they're just torturing themselves for internet rewards, right? <laughs> Or maybe they just want a whole bucket full of hacks to employ whenever they need to, right? And maybe that's not exactly a noble purpose, but I don't know, maybe it is. Because really what we need to know is what is their underlying motivation? When does your great power gained on the hero's journey actually turn you from hero to villain? Like, this is an important concept to keep in mind. For that matter, experimentation on frontiers can happen culturally as well. 
Can we not also appreciate the heroism of an alternate lifestyle, maybe? How about we can listen to the insights of cultural explorers? That's something that we don't give a lot of credence to. Now, the real challenge here, the wisdom of ages handed down to us through religions and myths, is to blend all opposites, as I mentioned earlier. It's to overcome and move beyond dualities of good and evil, consciousness and unconsciousness, spiritual and earthly. This is how you become an individuated individual. This is how you become a hero. Most of us are what is called a individual, as in individual, except for we're only a individual because we're still the divided self. We're not unified. We are fragmented. So we have not overcome or transcended, or as Hegel would say, subsumed. We're in a society that really loves and praises individuality. But how many of us are actually a divided self, a fragmented self, trying to claim the rights of the whole individuated noble soul? Wow, well that's a problematic question, because of course most of us are still the last man. We're not the uberman or woman, or whatever it needs to be. Sure, I mean, we might all be fit, we might all look like the image of the superhero, or we might pursue shallow goals and claim daily victories, but is maintaining appearances more like the act of a last man? I don't know. What I do know is we in our society are really good at superficial appearances, placing the signifier before the signified. We are really good at following instruction, we live in an era of methods and checklists and formulas, and these are brought to us by science and technology, right? And this is a path to become heroic. But how heroic can it be if it's actually a path? The point, if I haven't driven it into the ground already or just meandered around it for a half hour, is that the inner work to become a real human is harder and a more heroic journey than all of our scientific shortcutting, all of our method and formula following. Sure. Sciency tech is great and it's super helpful, but it shouldn't do the overcoming for you. You have to do that. Even more importantly, the hero is often portrayed alone. The monk ascending the mountain to find enlightenment, right? Superman keeping secrets and then having to go off to the fortress of solitude. But you do not have to do this alone. Sure, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to push back against mindless conformity, but you can take the journey with others and try to avoid the solipsistic individuality of the shallow villain. Because, of course, at the end of the day, I don't want to see any of y'all wearing purple spandex or something and laughing maniacally. <laughs> All right, many thanks. I know that might have seemed sort of meandering at points, but I'm very interested in how our culture impacts what it means for us to be optimized or to sort of see ourselves as overcoming or heroes, and what it means to actually sort of be a good person or a whole person, because of course they aren't necessarily the same thing. So as you know, I have one of my own daily habits and routines, which is to do a little bit of daily navel gazing and generate a fuzzy wad of wisdom for you. You can find these on bellybuttonlint.blog. So that's my website there, bellybuttonlint.blog. And if you sign up there, you'll end up getting these daily wads of navel gazing insight. Many thanks, and until next time, stay safe. <laughs>